This is the Mindvox podcast hosted by Claire Jacobs. Mindvox is a space to talk about our minds and mental health, so we cover topics that can be of a triggering or sensitive nature. We will always highlight the topics we cover in the show notes of each episode's description, so please read these before listening. Please note we're not medical experts, we're only experts of our own mental health experiences. To find out more about the pod or contact us, find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter using the name Mindvox Pod. everyone so today I am going to be speaking to a lovely lady called Nicola Parker she's a mental health practitioner who has gone through some really difficult times in her life which includes things like childhood sexual abuse toxic partners PTSD BPD and parenting whilst having mental health conditions she would like to talk hopefully I'm hoping about how she's turned her pains into passions today um, she's a trained counsellor personal trainer and she's also studied some interesting topics like neuro-linguistic programming psychology and sociology so hi Nicola hi thanks so much for having me How are on you this hot today? hot day I know it's a bit of a <laughs> silly UK day is melting uh, I'm just um I was a bit too scared to get a fan out so I thought no just in case you can all you can hear is a whirring mm, yeah it's gonna melt for this period that's fine um so how are you doing today you all right I'm good yeah I've had a really nice weekend I've had all four of my kids which is unusual for me because they're all a bit the teenagers are here there and everywhere so we had all four children all at the same time so it was a really a really nice mm. weekend and we went to the beach just with the toddler which was I was so grateful for doing it. There's sometimes where in the moment you don't really realise and you have to kind of look back and think, oh, wow, look at me. But I, even when I was on the beach and just, it was so quiet because we went to the dog park and I used to be scared of dogs. So it was like, wow, I'm in the part of the beach for dogs. I'm here with my toddler. I'm wearing shorts and I just wasn't bothered that there was still people around. It wasn't as busy as the other parts. But And I just thought... I know it sounds really like, look at me, but I just thought, wow, look at me, like more towards myself, do you know what I mean? Like, look at me just on this beach. It was just quite, I got quite emotional. My partner's like, are you okay? Have you got so warm in you? I was like, no, I'm just at the beach. I was like, it was quite nice. It was really nice. It's a great bit of sort of self-reflection, isn't it? To have yeah, yeah. In the moment, that's brilliant. So tell us a bit about what you do these days then. I've given a tiny blurb, but sort of what... Yeah. What is your main, are you self-employed now? Are you working? Yeah, people? so I don't work for the NHS, which I'm quite proud of, and I don't mean the NHS any harm. I think the people who work for the NHS are amazing. How it's run as a business is not necessarily amazing. Like mental health has got a lot more funding, but nowhere near enough. And I think that is why I wouldn't have been authentically me if I would have worked within the NHS because I can't deal with the whole um, like note-taking. I find that very rude and I understand it needs to be done, I do. And I'm dyslexic, so I'm not the greatest at retaining short-term information. But there's nothing worse than when you're pouring your heart out to what is a stranger, even if you're 10 sessions in, they're still technically a stranger to you. And they're just writing. And if anybody's been there, I know they'll understand when I say it stops your flow because you think, what, 
what what are you writing there um can what what did i just say that made you put pen to paper right now so there's the the time scales all them sort of things that for me just men working for myself was the way to be and one of my i call my clients my butterflies um and I do get emotional when I talk about my my long-term butterflies. So if I get upset, just they, they mean the world to me. And one of them has just gone through such, like she has literally just become the butterfly now. She's gone through such a breakthrough. So I asked her this week, I said, if you could describe when you first found me to the session we've had today, let's, let's just evaluate that. And she said to me, she remembers knowing she was in a dark place and she there was no light and she didn't think there was going to be a way to get light but that she had to do something and she said I couldn't go to the NHS I couldn't go and speak to a doctor I needed something else but I just didn't know what and then she came across me in a Facebook group that's just for women um, and someone recommended myself and then she reached out to me and just and I thought that really is exactly why I wanted to work for myself because I do think having someone to be able to say I think we all go off word of mouth and recommendations and you can't necessarily do that in the NHS you can't necessarily choose who your therapist is whereas those of us who work on the online space you are able to be like do you know what it's you can kind of have a look before it's like looking before you buy you can have a look you can see if that person suits you or not um but also I, I do work online for my own personal reasons. Like I do have a lot of physical health problems. Um, and also I'd still need the space for my own mental health and working, you know, a, a nine to five job wouldn't necessarily allow me the space to take time out for my own mental health. So it's kind of double barreled really why I do it, do it online. And what sort of work do you do with them then? So is it under any sort of um, specific type of therapeutic framework or is it? No, like I do kind of just say it's kind of a, an umbrella of lots of things because I have got a lot of hats. So I'm a, um, I don't think we said it in the bio because I don't think I told you, but um, I'm a qualified personal trainer as well. So to, to kind of give it one therapeutic title, I mean, I couldn't then use them in the focus so sometimes I might not use anything to do with NLP when I'm speaking to somebody hmm. but if I don't say look this is just the whole thing then I can't actually use it if I then wanted to so what I do at the minute I do have what I call my founding members who are my, my long-term butterflies and at the minute they've gone through quite all of them have worked with me now for at least two to three years um some of them are what I'd call healed but just want that support as and when they need it, when life just suddenly pops up and throws a curveball. Um, and so they'll just pick that up with me as and when. Um, others are having like weekly sessions and they are literally coming to the end of the healing journey. But I'm in the process of building a five-stage programme that is taking people through the stages that I took myself through that I take my clients through and that I believe is what people need to go through to get to that ultimate goal of being stronger than their mind. So you've got stage one, which is accepting my mind. And I seem to say it about every stage, but I do think that's kind of the biggest stage, accepting your mind, accepting mm. what is happening in your mind. 
um accepting i mean i know personally i found it really hard it was so catch 22 when i very first got a mental health diagnosis even though i'd been qualified as a counselor previously it's still it's like a hairdresser trying to do their own hair and so when i first got told that i had complex ptsd was the first kind of diagnosis that i got thrown at me as much as it was like oh oh okay that that explains a lot it was still like what well, i've got a, i've got a label like what what do you mean so there's a lot of acceptance to do around so many parts and that's exactly what that first topic does it's about not just accepting yourself and your mind it's it's accepting everything that comes with who you are then the next stage we move on to is understanding your mind which again that is a massive massive topic to go through um i would say that's probably one of the biggest topics within the whole academy um and again that ranges from you understanding your own thoughts you understand where they're coming from what are they trying to tell you what is it about but also sometimes i think a lot of us will say i don't even understand myself so how can somebody else understand me and that can really yeah. cause a barrier to support because like my partner's been with me uh oh my gosh how long been together oh gosh yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna say 11 like 11 yeah. slash 12 years so he has seen me yeah. break down and then he's, he's stayed but I wouldn't say and he knows this that he was the most supportive partner when I was at my lowest points but equally that's because I didn't understand how I needed him to help me so then how could he help me so okay. one of the biggest things we're doing the understanding unit is also helping you to understand how you want people to support you and we create like um like a mood kit, I call it, or a colour code where instead of having to say, I'm feeling whatever today, because that's quite hard to voice out, you can create your own code where you might simply just text your mum, your dad, your sister, your partner, and be like, I'm very orange today. And mm. they will have that code and they will know that orange means that this is what you need today and this is what you need of, of me. So then after that, we move on to, I have to in a line, I forget what accept understand then reset then we're resetting your mind and that's where we're looking at your triggers uh, your behaviors what is serving you because a lot of the things we do is to keep us safe so we don't want to get rid of them things we just want to make yeah. them work better for us mm. and then we move on to conditioning your mind which sounds a bit like i'm gonna hypnotize you and make you run around the streets like a chicken but <laughs> <laughs> I don't quite do that and that is where we put in what I'd call your daily practices to deal with the day-to-day -day symptoms so that's where I'll talk about routines um where I'll I'll bring in more about the personal training side and exercise and how you can use that um journaling that is the conditioning is where we're more than you can have yourself a kind of plan of how you're going to use everything you've learned in the previous ones and then the last stage is stronger than your mind which is kind of self-titled that's where you you're digging deeper on everything you've got and then you're learning how to make this evergreen now how to carry this forward you've made your crisis box in um understanding your mind in that stage yeah. but how and when do you use that crisis box now what happens when you've kind of it's all gone to pot like life does like I said with my long-term butterflies they're quite healed and settled but a curveball will always come in mm, yeah. so then it's it's about taking that long forward so 
that's still in process of I'm still making all the units for that um so at the minute it's kind of getting on the waiting list for that and then I just have a few workbooks that I think are helpful before getting to that stage such as journaling such as meditation but I don't know what you think of meditation but I used to think I had to be religious I used to think I had to sit and hum (laughs) I used to have so many like I used to think um I don't know where I got it from to be honest but I used to think you had to clear your mind and I'm like I can't do that I can't clear my mind it's really hard to do and I think yeah the the major people that do it do speak of you need to sort of just let your thoughts flow by but don't interact with them that's quite tricky to do especially when you're yeah like adhd and your head is exactly yeah it's just impossible interesting (laughs) yeah no but it's good so you've got quite a good framework for the things you do and i guess i wonder where does that come from sort of what what sort of life have you had that's made you want to so passionately help other people sort of going back to i don't know start right from the start what what was your childhood like strapping <laughs> seat belts on <laughs> um, yeah. so I used to say if anyone I'm just gonna be really honest and blunt and I guess I'll watch my language as well um but if anyone used to say to me what sort of life have you had I would automatically say oh it's been poo it, it, it's awful it was rubbish whereas now I'm not gonna say I lived a perfect life I really didn't and I never thought I'd get to the point of saying, but I'm so grateful for everything I went through. I'm not necessarily grateful for the actual certain moments, but I'm grateful for everything and that got me to where I am today. And I spent oh, years, I, I, one, I'd feel old if I counted it up, and two, it would just <laughs> be a lot. But I'd say at least... 20 years of my life I just wanted to die I didn't want to be here and when people said I hate the skin they're in I I hated everything about me and I really wanted to I used to feel like I had things crawling over me but in such a mental sense not physically but just I used to constantly like scrub myself in a shower with nail brushes it was just it was quite intense um so to give the backstory of why I felt like that is um, I was sexually abused by, by my dad. And I think I'm going to take a personal minute there because that is the first time on an interview like this or anything where I've said that sentence. And I used to find it, I'd say triggering, I'm not really sure. I used to find it very difficult if I heard other people say that. And I think, how can you just say it like that? How you can't possibly just say it like that. You can't just get them words out there. And that was, I guess, locked in part of not accepting it, not understanding it, carrying a lot of guilt for it, a lot of shame. And I spent years not even being able to say the word dad when it came to my own dad. It just wouldn't physically come out. And I spent, despite the fact I was a qualified counsellor, like, going forward, um, I just spent years thinking that I don't think he's dead. In fact, I know he's, he's not dead, my dad. But I used to feel like as if he died and he was in my head, like his voice was constantly in my head. So I think back in my childhood, I was, um, obviously, ages are approximate, but my mum and dad divorced from when I was about two. So I think everyone's kind of just guessed it would have been from roughly being about two or three. And then my mum 
finally believed me. It took me three times to kind of discuss things with her um, and for her to believe it. And I don't feel any hatred or anger towards her there. I think that is kind of a natural human response. It's hard to take some things in and you will yeah. brush them off and say, oh, it's, it's a bit of tickling and I'll, I'll speak to your daddy for you and things like that. Um, so I was about eight when she finally was like, hang on, this is, something's clearly happening. And I think one of my most upsetting things, um, I'm getting emotional, I didn't think I would, um, was after telling her and going upstairs and I heard her scream. And it was just the most howling scream that I've ever heard. And I think that probably upset me. That there was probably the start of the guilt the start of what have I done how could I have done this how could I do this and you know there was a lot of difficulties just in actual what had happened to me in terms of going for the police um like examination was very triggering for such a long time not just from a physical yeah. place but just from Mm. they said to me if at any point you want us to stop and you want your mum we will we'll do yeah. that we'll stop we'll get your mum and I remember from a physical side they did hurt me you know down below it did get like out how old and were I you remember, at this point when so they I would have been work? eight. Oh, you were so very young yeah. to be having that sort of so <laughs> you, your mum wasn't even in the room no. when you were having those things no oh, there was another God. lady who I think was a police officer or something to do with that but she didn't have uniform on so she she I felt like okay with her I didn't feel like oh she's artificial mm. and she was kind of like someone that they'd buddied me up with sort of thing I'm probably not using any technical police terms here but um they did given me her and I do I'm kind of glad I don't think I would have wanted my mum to have seen bits like I vividly remember one of them saying oh yeah there's a bruise here and thinking oh my god I'm gonna get my dad in trouble like they've just seen a bruise down there so I'm glad my mum didn't have to hear it in that instant moment but for me when I asked for my mum when I then said I want my mum now and was really upset they wouldn't get her and I think that again was another major major thing for me is you've just said if I get upset I can have my mum I've just asked my mum I'm really upset and I can't have her and that happened again in the like physical interview where there was you know doing all the puppets and daddy lives here mummy lives there Mm -hmm. can you show us you know very obviously in a childlike way they showed me the cameras and showed me like oh look people will be watching these cameras and everything and Mm -hmm. colouring and very relaxed but once it got to the difficult point which for me for years and years and years a trigger for me was hearing the Simpsons come on um because that just seemed to be kind of the time frame when things had happened and my brother had he'd had like um, a settee that was like on stands you know I had like the legs so you could get under the sofa and my brother would be under the sofa and be glued to the Simpsons and that had kind of been when things had started to happen so when they started asking me what do you watch on tv and he was like, oh, we know your brother. He loves The Simpsons. Who do you like best out of The Simpsons? And for me, that was it. That was, no, no, can't do this. Don't want to do this. Want my mum. And I remember literally banging on the door to get out and to get my mum. And it was, no, come and look at these puppets. No, come and draw a picture. And I just thought, you you said I could get my mum. So a lot of the things I did struggle with going forward was kind of them parts as well. It was never just what happened. It was never yeah. just 
oh my god's done this it a lot of it was the aftermath seeing my mum so hurt seeing my mum so like it's hard to explain but so ashamed and yeah, yeah. seeing my brother then come out and say things had gone on with him him then telling me in private that he was lying he just said it because I was getting all the attention and seeing him like struggle um my mum then carrying on as normal which some had said that's good but my mum was a very absent parent she was you know she loved her job she worked long hours she worked far away she was an hour's drive away she lived for the weekend you know to her she'd worked hard all week so when it came to you know Saturday it was get up go do the food shop come back mum goes out for a night out I'd wait up for her get her to bed when she'd come in and then she'd be up Sunday afternoon so I understand from her point of view as I've had a hard week at work but then when I'm going through parts of now self-harming now trying to end my life but there was just never that consistent parenting that was quite hard and feeling like it was my fault that she was now having to live such a life as if that was my fault because she couldn't cope to look at me or couldn't cope to know what I'd been through knowing family members wouldn't come near me like my granddad who's just recently passed away I, I struggled with his passing because I found it hard that for a few years he wouldn't come near me because he found it too hard to know what I'd gone through so a lot of it was dealing with the, the guilt and the shame and blaming myself. I think with one of my butterflies who I've just gone through at the minute and we've, we've really dealt with this blame and seeing somebody else, um, I'm so proud of my butterflies, get upset, seeing somebody else say that it's not their fault when they've been through similar and me being the person who helped them to understand that it wasn't their fault, that there's nothing for them to feel guilty about it's just everything. It does then make me feel grateful. I'm grateful for all the pains I've been through so that now I can be somebody else's light. I can stop somebody going through the years of torment I put myself through and say, hang on, I can I can hold your hand with this. I can't jump in your head and change everything, but I can give you the tools. I can give you the strategies. I can be there for you and help you. And that, to me, makes everything worthwhile. And if someone said, would you go through it all again just to be able to help these people? I honestly think I would say yes now. Whereas years ago, if someone said, would you go through this life again so that you can, I don't know, like get whatever it is, I would have said, oh my God, no. I'd, I'd take any other life than mine. Like, I hate my life. I hate everything. Mm. Whereas now, I, I love my life. I'm proud of my life. I'm proud of who I am. I love who I am, which is, that has been insane to get to that point but to know like even this morning someone who's actually from a local area um has reached out to me and said that she's she's took an overdose and her daughter's been removed from a care I don't know in what way yet um and kind of help her and just knowing that people see me as that people see me as yeah. well you've come and told me that that's massive to just reach out and tell somebody yeah. that so the you. fact they yeah that that trust element and like one of my butterflies said recently, she was like, one of the first things I found when I spoke to you is you just didn't judge me. And I thought, well, how mm. could there's nothing to judge? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that's kind of why I do it. Like there was obviously my childhood, then dealing with the guilt going forward and my mom and my brother. Um, then found out, I think I was 
Oh, how old would I have been? I would have been year nine in school. How old mine was in year nine? Yeah, so I would have been like 13, 14, yeah. yeah. Um, and my dad pulled up. We had like a, a big drive, not a huge drive. We didn't live in a mansion, but quite a <laughs> steep drive up to the house and then a big like bay window. So it was quite obvious whenever someone was coming on the drive, yeah. you'd hear the car and then you could see the car. And I just remember it was an unusual time. There was no way my mum was doing from work. My mum's current partner, uh, don't mean this rude, but she had a lot of different partners. So I never felt really close to any of them. Uh, but this one I did feel quite on a friendship level with. I was like, oh, I, I think this one might stick around for a while, blah, blah. I'm like, my mum seemed to like this one. And he was in bed because he worked nights on the taxis. And I seen a car pull up and thought, who's that pulling up? Like, who's due? I was did misbehave in school, and I think that's obvious that that was going to be the case. So I, then, I did think, oh, my gosh, there's someone from school. Like, oh, what have I done now? For <laughs> God's sake, how dramatic. Mm. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, well, my mum's not here anyway, so what are you going to do? And then um, it was my dad. He got out of the car. I'd not, that was the first time I'd seen him for, like, years. Um, the fear, I felt, was intense. But he got a little baby girl out of the car and was held, holding her in his arms, knocked on the door, and then posted, like, I didn't have an answer, obviously, I hid behind the door, and mm. then he posted a card through. And this was in, like, May, June time, and my birthday's in February, <laughs> so I don't think he even remembered where my birthday was, but I guess God loves a trial. Um, and he posted a card through, but I clearly, obviously, know now the whole mental side of him doing that was he was clearly coming to show me that he'd had another baby and as far as we was aware he'd had what do you call it when men have the it's like they can't have kids I don't forgot the word very infertile um, that's it yeah yeah that's right, it yeah. thank you vasectomy so oh. it, it had never been a thing like it had been discussed in the court case and the social that oh well he can't have children blah 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 so you went through the actual court case with it then and the what so did it rule yeah. at the end when you were about eight that, that you no, didn't see you anymore? Like what was the outcome? Yeah, I mean I have this is something that I kinda just want to know for my own I don't know, just sort of closure in that sense is my mum's never given me access to the court papers. So all I know is my mum's word and that sometimes isn't necessarily yeah. truthful. Um I know we got a lot of compensation money. And I know she, you know, there's no better way of saying she enjoyed spending that. We did go on holiday to Florida. It was amazing. Um, but she did then, like, get a new house, lots of things. So I know there was clearly something in order for compensation to be given. But whenever I've tried to say, like, why didn't you get sent to prison? Like, why, mm. what's gone on here then? Did they not believe me? Um, she said it was the... Uh, CPS who said it will be too hard, like there is evidence but not they will still argue it and we right. think it's enough to kind of not put her through being on the stand and I remember him explaining I remember being in like a, a, a courtroom and saying you'll be here you'll be on a video he'll be in another yeah. room blah 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 so I remember being like prepped for the like the trial sort of thing but it never got to that stage but from a legal point of view I don't know what did that and I think that is why, even though I was just starting to go downhill with my own mental health and I'd studied um, access to nursing at college, but then ended up on a law degree <laughs> and yeah. studied law. And I don't know if that was kind of unsubconsciously yeah. me wanting to find out what it would take, what is that process to get there. And 
and could I then, you know, be a lawyer and help try and put other people like that away and everything else? Yeah. But... So he didn't go to prison. You, you, you got no. money. You got money from somewhere. Whether that was him or whether that was compensation, I can't. No, I know it's definitely know compensation. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I never ended up finding it out fully. But it would be interesting to know. Yeah, but I guess I'm assuming social services would have said he's not to see you. Yes, yeah, so um, I know there was um like injunctions and all them sort of right. things that like he couldn't come near us. Um I know we couldn't change our names, I don't think he'd give permission, but then by the point they've not been in your life for an X amount of time, right. and I just was turning 16. Um yeah, I was just turning no, I turned 16, I was gonna turn 17, and I was pregnant with my son. And, you know, all those mums will know that in the hospital, they refer the baby to baby, whatever your surname is. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was not an option for them to call my baby, baby Duffy. And that that was my old surname Mm -hmm. because that was just so triggering. Um, I'd always been known as my mum's maiden name anyway for quite a few years. So I didn't even associate that as my name. So I did manage to change my name just, I think my son was like, he was doing like two weeks and then we managed to get it changed right at the last like second. And it was like, and that, that was huge. I mean, I'm, I'm now a completely different name. I'm now Parker, which is my nan's maiden name because my dad, um, he found me on Facebook. Obviously what I do is quite public. He's quite out there. Mm -hmm. So he did reach out to me once near Christmas, a very disgusting graphic message uh from a fake profile but it made it very obvious that it was him giving quite graphic details and things um and again that was really hard because my mum didn't believe me so I didn't contact her my partner did at the time me and my mum weren't speaking for what reason I can't remember because she goes through times where she just says can't deal with being a parent see you later um and she kind of thought I'd just said it just to bring her back in my life and it was like mm, no that's you know I found that hard so it's like if you don't believe me about that did you ever believe me about what actually happened in the first place then yeah and that's a big and problem the, to yeah it, is that sort of not being believed and being too scared I mean I uh, had familial sexual abuse too but I didn't tell anybody until I was an adult and pregnant with my mm. child because I got scared of hurting them yeah uh, so it's that thing if you don't want those people to be hurt um and having to watch them be hurt because you've told them something yeah that, you know what i mean even though you're not the one that's in the wrong you still feel that sort of responsibility to say oh, yeah i don't want them to go through pain because i can just shut my mouth and deal with it myself but actually it manifests in so many ways as you it sounds like what you were saying about your teenage years i think you talked you said sort of fleetingly about um you felt rubbish about yourself self-harm so does it I suppose and then him turning up on the driver with a baby girl did that not yeah freak, that freak you out of what if he does it to her that was the start I think when he I was already struggling to just we had to pretend like we've moved we'd moved from um like 10 or 15 minutes like I'm rubbish with geography so is it like a town or a city like we just moved like right. from one area to the next one down okay. um wasn't far although people in my new area did like think my accent was so strange I'm like I'm 10 minutes up the road guys calm down (laughs) (laughs) but we had to kind of pretend everybody in my old life like at my old primary school we had to say we'd moved to where my mum was working which was Warrington which was like an hour away so we had to pretend we was completely 
moving away, never having contact with people again. And I remember vividly driving off my old street and just being so upset that I was losing all these friendships that I had. So starting a new life was hard just in terms of starting a new life, starting being that, you know, person who starts school halfway through year five and everyone's kind of established the friendships. It was quite hard. Um, Peter Andre got me through a lot of that. Hence why I'm oh. still very obsessed with that man. Um, <laughs> we won't be down the Peter Andre rabbit hole. We get lost. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think um, I was struggling just in terms of dealing with everything, whatever. But then when he turned up, and by this point, I was in high school. I was smoking, but just because I wanted to be like my mom, because my mum smoked and I idolised her as much as now I can see how she treated me and she was very absent. At the time, I was desperate for her to just not give me attention in the sense of what I'd been through or anything, but just want to sit down and eat a meal with me rather than me cook. I was basically like her slave. I did everything for her. She woke up in the morning. I'd literally light a cigarette for her, leave it in the ashtray, go downstairs, make her a cup of coffee, make some breakfast, bring it up to her like I helped her get ready for work in the morning. So I just wanted attention off her as a mother. I just wanted her to ask about my day or anything. So I was already more so acting out in that sort of sense. I was just a class idiot. Uh, I was very, very spotty. I had a lot of health conditions going on as well still at this point. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. Very, very spotty. I was always bullied for different, like, my appearance. But then when he turned up and did that, the sheer... When you said the word responsibility, it kind of moved on to two things for me when that happened. Because as much as I felt so guilty and so responsible for all this pain I appeared to have caused my family, to then see um, a baby girl and know that, you know, we, I'm, we immediately did contact social and things. And it was like, right, we need to find out if this is his child or not and everything. And they mm-hmm. said, look, we'll go turn up we will find out what's going on. And then when they, they came around and said, yes, he had his um, vasectomy reversed and right. this is his baby daughter and his, I knew Louise, his partner, cause when I saw, saw my dad, he just got with her and she was 17 at the time. So there wasn't a massive age gap with us. So I found her fun. I never called her stepmom. It was always just like this teenager coming to play. Um, so then when they said she was pregnant, at the current time and he was having another baby that is what I think broke me or started to then in my teenage years cause the self-harming um uh bless me tried to take an overdose in school thinking I thought I took eight um paracetamols but I took eight hay fever tablets instead (laughs) that was quite intense um But my mum didn't even leave work to come and get me when that had happened. That was my very first suicide attempt. And she didn't leave work when they rang her. I'd fell asleep in science. They'd realised what had happened because my friends had known because I kind of said goodbye to all my friends. Um, And when they said to her, like, oh, Nicola's tried to take an overdose, we found the box, it was hay fever tablets, so she's probably going to be fine, but you might want to come and get her and, you know, just take get checked out. She was Mm. like, no, I'll see you after uh, work. Oh, wow. So yeah, God, that sounds horrific. Did you get any support? So from the time that you know the court case, eight years old until like your teenage years when you were doing that in class, did you ever get therapy or any? Uh, there was bits in and out. There was like uh, what are they called? They do adverts on the telly. NSPCC. Okay. Um, they give a little bit of support, but 
I think something men, either my mum didn't access the support we was offered. Um, And if we did, she was always at work. So I don't know if it was a case of she wouldn't take us to the appointments because we did have somebody who used to come to the house once a week. But my mum, again, would be at work. So we didn't have a lot, but I don't want to blame the system on that. I don't know. No, you don't know, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the circumstances were. Yeah, that's that's quite a lot of, a lot to be going through with sort of little support, really. And then obviously then having a baby, what, 16, 17 years old is, is, you know, quite a young age to start having to then be a parent yourself. Um, Yeah. So what was it like having a baby so young? I mean, I'm assuming, were you still living with your mum at the time? No. Oh, you weren't? Okay. No. Were you at school and living on your own? Uh, was it at school? No, I'd, I'd finished school. So I just, uh, I met my ex when I was doing my GCSEs. Um, and so I think I did my GCSEs in like the May, June time. And I was pregnant. So I was 16 in the February, GCSEs May, June, and then pregnant in the September. Wow. Um, yeah. And my mum uh used to take my nights out so when school kind of got really like involved with like you know this girl needs support needs help my mum then told school like about my past my childhood and what had gone on with my dad and things because they didn't know she didn't want them to know she didn't want um like teachers looking at it differently things like that which I think scared me used to make me think why but I think that is what used to make me think oh so like would other other like you know, monsters, I used to call them. Now I understand they have, you know, they're called paedophiles, but I used to just be like, oh, would they know them? Would they then think it's okay for them to do things for me as well then? Like, is that why we don't tell anybody? So that was always a bit strange. But, yeah, so she'd been, you know, kind of told, you know, you need to be there for more. This is why she's misbehaving so much, blah, blah, blah. So her answer, I guess, to that is thinking, well, hang on, I'm working all week. I need my weekend to go out and have my time. I'll just bring her with me. So from about wow. 15, I was, you know, in a pub, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pint of lager, cigarette in my mouth, stood with my mother. <laughs> very <Gosh>. ladylike. <laughs> so you were treated pretty much like an adult from a very early age. Yeah, and, yeah. And socialised in that way. I mean, it almost yeah. sounds, I mean, I'm no doctor, but it almost sounds like, did she possibly have some sort of addiction? Like in terms of... Yeah, some people are addicts of a weekend only where they have to go and they yeah. have to go drinking and they have to or take their drug of choice and they, they can go through the week without it but that it's kind of a, like a functioning binge addiction yeah, yeah. yeah i don't know and if i it's think that. she's i think now i'd probably say she's virgin on she needs to maybe address the alcohol but i think her addiction has been being social being liked oh, being looked okay. at like i don't like to diagnose people but if I had to I would say she's a narcissist and you can have Mm. I don't like the the shame narcissist get you can have with any mental illness you can have a mental illness and not be a bad person so just because you're a narcissist doesn't necessarily mean you're a toxic narcissist so Mm. I think the narcissistic side of her has always needed to be social to be liked to be seen to be this is me, this is who I am. She's always been, like, my mum is stunning. Like, even now, she's, you know, her physical appearance has changed a lot. Um, she's, like, put a lot more weight on and maybe isn't the, the you know, the newspaper, not newspaper, I'm trying to say, like, the magazine yeah. version. But she's always been very slim, very pretty, very unusual. She was a redhead. 
she's always had that uniqueness about her and I always loved her confidence in herself um so I think that's why she went out all the time because she then liked the attention she got she even as I was like in my 20s 30s if I went out with my mum people my age would be more looking at my mum mm-hmm. she always got chatted up by younger blokes so I think she loved that that's her addiction is being liked okay. um which when you think of it is quite sad because I probably like her more than anybody else in the world yeah. is ever gonna like yeah. her but she could never yeah. see that and I don't think she ever will unfortunately but that's you know that's her journey but yeah so so were I you living out. with the, the guy who fathered your child at the time? Or did yeah, you, were you so, living alone? No, I was living with him. I'd just I'd met him on one of these nights out. Mm. Um and we was kind of just starting to see each other, but not because he was like, I can't ask you out for a bit, but I do want to be with you. It was all very strange. Loads of red flags from the start, but what 16 year old is gonna see that? <laughs> no. He was <laughs> was he 21 yet? Yeah. I think he was close to being 21. I think he was 20 21. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, you know, still at school at that point, waiting to do my DCSEs, yeah. and a 20 year old guy with a van. Yeah, that's <laughs> like amazing, he's got vehicles, he's got wheels. Yeah, <laughs> if you've got wheels and you're 16, it's it's everything. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. So um, he was the one who then started to feel like I guess now I can look back like a parent. He gave me um, a curfew. Like, wow. I'm going to show my age now, so I, any youngsters watching won't understand this bit, but <laughs> I didn't have a mobile phone, <laughs> so no. I'd have to be in for 10 o'clock for him to ring my house phone, uh. and then I think he was the one who got me my first phone, I might be wrong, but I did end up with a phone just as we'd met, but it was still, I want to ring your house phone so I know you're in. Mm. Now, now I know that was his control yeah. side of him there and then, but back then it was, oh my gosh, someone cares about me enough exactly. that they want me home for 10 o'clock. And if I was ever late, he'd be on the phone with my mum. My mum would be stood there and be like, oh my God, right here, you need to speak to me mm. once in a while you're late. Mm. So it was my mum who basically said, I don't think she liked the fact that, you know, he was able to maybe control me. I don't know. And so she, from we'd not been I'd not been seen him long I still wasn't officially his girlfriend in his eyes and um she said you need to leave him I don't want you to be with him anymore you're not coming out basically I wasn't being one of the girls anymore I wasn't wanting to go out with her at the weekends I wasn't hanging around with my mates and going getting drunk and you know coming crawling in at three o'clock in the morning so in her eyes because she's always been very anti-male which I do get obviously after what we'd been through but it was no you don't just settle down for a man you go and enjoy life and you have a party you don't settle down so I was like no I still want to you know I still want to be in this relationship I want to be with him I'm going to be his girlfriend soon so and it was like well get out then so I wonder from I the did. sound of that I mean on the surface it might look like because you're not being a mate with the girls but I wonder if she could sense very easily because she'd been around longer he's controlling there's something dodgy about him I don't want to be in with him but it didn't have the proper it sounds like not the sort of emotional verbal style to be able to communicate that to you so this I is think a- now it was that but it wasn't it was he's controlling her I'm not because then as things progressed oh. over the years, I could really see them butting heads at who, who am I going to listen to? Oh, if so she long... says no and he says yeah, who am yeah. I going to listen to? Right, so you so... have two people trying to control you and you in the middle of that with a child at a very young age. So yeah. Sort of, how long did you were you with him then? And was he I was with him six and a half years, so wow. I moved in with him very quickly. 
I then found out quite shockingly because um, I'd always known after a certain point I'd known that my dad was still in the country because we also got told he'd moved to Thailand. Um, so then I'd found out. Oh. I know, it was says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. He <laughs> was back in the country. <laughs> it had. I used to use that to kind of describe it, when I couldn't vocalize everything I'd been through. I'd just be like, "Yeah, my biological father lives in Thailand," and you can kind of get the gist from it from that. That kind of just used to be my kind of go-to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I'd moved in with my ex uh, very quickly, very just like, okay, I'm here. And then it was in the area that when I was a child, my dad lived in that like area, but like five minutes up the road. And then I remember being in this house, his mother was and still is an alcoholic, quite a severe alcoholic. Right. So he didn't like me to go outside. When he'd go to work, it was like you stay in um I'd tried to go for my open days with college but he wasn't okay with that he didn't trust all the boys that had been there I didn't think that was fair because he wasn't at college so I was like okay I won't go to college so and it was like you can keep an eye on my mum you can you know make sure my mum isn't drinking too much you and her can watch daytime tv try and you know curb her drinking so it's like okay I'll do that for you I'm here to support you like I'll help your mum and I remember I was going to the sink once and pouring like the rest of her drink away because she'd fell asleep. So it's like, I'll pour it away and she'll think she's drank it. And then my mum rang me and at this point she wasn't speaking to me because it was like, where are you? I was like, well, you told me to go, so I've gone. And right, then it was yeah. like, right, okay then. But she didn't, she didn't like, she'd asked her friend to come and drop my stuff off. And my mum wasn't happy with the area because it was you know every place has like a rundown area let's yeah. say uh, it was on the edge of a council estate and so to her it was like how could you be so she was very um snobby about it um so she'd said when her friend who worked in social services um had dropped my things off she'd like relayed back to mum like oh it is a it's a dos house it's a stay it's just kind of an open door and people are in and out so she then said wow if you've chose that over me then you know I'm not interested sort of thing so I'd not heard from her for a good couple of weeks and then she was she'd rang me I now had a mobile phone because we was kind of getting up in the world now yeah. <laughs> and um I could see her ringing me on my phone I thought how strange is that so I was like, oh, hi, mummy, okay. She'd be at work during the day. So I'm like, when does my mum ring, like, family members when she's in work? And she was like, where are you, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I've just been in the kitchen making a drink. She was like, I know you just made an orange juice, didn't you? And I was like, wow, okay. I was like, yeah. She went, yeah, um, my mum always referred to him as DH, which is like a, a swear word, but I won't swear. So she was like, yeah, DH can see you. And I remember you used to see it on films where people are just drop it, hearing like some news, and I just dropped to the floor and I was like, what? And then she described, so like there was terraces here, like on one side, and on the right hand side was another row of terraces that could then see into the backs of the other ones. Um, and that's where he lived. So I'd actually moved like across from his house without even realising it. So my partner had already wanted me to stay in and not go out, and I just didn't. I'd very, very rarely leave the house. All the curtains were shut. I didn't have anybody open curtains in the back part of the house. Um, my partner would sometimes try and open the curtains in our bedroom, where I pretty much lived. Very rarely left the bedroom. We just had a mattress on the floor, and we had mice. And so you, it just felt like it was literally, you could hear the mice like under your bed, but my bed was like this thick. Um, 
and he was like you know what is it that you want what do you want to do in life and I was like I just want a family I just want I'd always wanted a baby I'd always wanted to give somebody all this love that I had but I had nobody to give it to so I did make the decision and say I I want a baby I want to give a baby so much love and I want that baby to love me because a baby will love you no matter what you do that baby will love you as long as you feed it and you're there for it you care for it I want a baby and I know now it was because I just wanted that unconditional love not this love that would or if you make them unhappy blah 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 they're gonna love me so he was all for it it? a lot of people that have been sort of abused or neglected yeah crave that love and do tend to have children quite young obviously not everyone um yeah for that reason we're supposed to be unconditionally loved by them sort of forever and it will never ever go and and we crave that I guess um yeah and I do think that comes up even today that still comes up in parenting but yeah so I, I was very quickly that we then did um get pregnant I was very happy about it then he'd also said you know this is our ticket out we'll be we'll be able to get a house we'll be able to do things so um we didn't end up getting a house because he then I just said no you know the only time I put my foot down wants to do with money so maybe I'm a bit of a gold digger I don't know (laughs) but then I was like no we're not we're not doing that we're being a family we need to do this properly you need to speak to work you need a pay rise you know you're going to be a dad now we've got you've got to step up to the plate and be a dad so he went and got a pay rise. We was very lucky, very lucky. In his uncle lived next door to somebody who was selling a house and just wanted as little money as possible because they just needed a bit of money to get into sheltered accommodation because there was like oh. retirement. Um, so we got a house for it was very cheap. So at the time, I think it was thirty five grand, but the market value of it that day was like eighty grand. Wow. So we did manage to get a mortgage. Obviously, I were on it because I was too young. Was it even 18 at this point? And so we moved in there. Uh, I think it was about two or three months before my son was then born. Um, it was in an, still in the same like area, but you know, a bit further afield to where my dad was and where we'd been living. It was about a 10-minute drive away from it. Uh, very nice-looking houses, looked like new, new builds. So it was like, wow, I'm 17 years old, about to mm. give birth, and, and look at me sort of thing, look at materialistic, look at what I've got. I looked like I had it all. My mum was very jealous and had openly say so. So was her. She was with a different partner now, and he was like, you know, you don't really deserve this. It's like you've won the wow. lottery and you don't appreciate it, even though I did. I mm. love looking out of my window and seeing like the carport area and thinking, wow, this is amazing. Mm. Um, so yeah, went on to be very stigmatised at the fact I was a teenage mum. Uh, mm. Didn't realise that was an issue until like I was living it. And, you know, I'd always planned on breastfeeding my son. It was like, that's the right thing to do. That's what a good mum does. She breastfeeds. The media was very savage mm. towards things like that back then. Mm-hmm. Um, was a very, I found the birth tough. I found seeing him, which was shocking, because we're all told, aren't we? Oh, you have the baby, and you've got this immediate, overwhelming feeling of mm. love. And I was so looking forward to that. And I found the birth very unsupportive. Like, my mum and my partner at the time fell asleep. And I was like, okay, wow. I'll just get on with things, shall I? Yeah, um, my partner at the time fell asleep. <laughs> how dare they do that? You're so like, how dare you? be in pain with me (laughs) (laughs) so then when my son was born and I seen him 
I just felt this overwhelming feeling of pressure. Mm -hmm. Just, I'd never even changed a nappy in my life. I'd Mm -hmm. held my baby cousin a few times. I'd never had, there weren't really many babies in our family. So it was just one and I hardly ever saw her. So Mm -hmm. it was like, I remember just looking at him. I remember thinking that he looked like an alien, thinking he just looked weird. I was like, wow, Mm -hmm. he looked weird. And when they passed him to me and put him on me, instead of having that overwhelming yeah. bond and love and everything, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's depending on me. He, yeah. everything he needs has to come from me. And I just felt this overwhelming pressure of, wow, mm-hmm. I've got to keep you safe and I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. What am I going to do? How am I going to cope? And then I remember him latching on and then, oh, gosh, he passed. He's, nearly, he's like 18, so I'm going into baby. And I'm like, oh, my baby. Um, I remember him latching onto my breast and thinking, I've got you and you've got me. And yeah. just thinking, this is everything. So it, it yeah. like was the pressure, but then the love did come in terms of mm. that bonding that I am, you know, I do think if you can breastfeed, it's great. And I think that bonding you get from breastfeeding is amazing. Um, and I've always been sad that I didn't get to do it fully with him because then we'd got, you know, back to the ward where they get you settled and everything. And the midwife was just awful to me. I'd seen a ripping, like taking over people's epidural, like stickers mm. off. I'm sure they're not called stickers, but you know what I mean? yeah, no, no. Um, and I'd seen her being very caring and kind and gentle with them and putting water on it to ease it off and having a conversation with them. And then she was like, oh, sit up. And she's like, right, I'm just going to rip this off. We'll count to three, jump, and ripped it off. And I was like, oh, okay. And then um, I'd gone to shut my curtains, and she's like, what are you doing? Keep curtains open. I was like, oh, I'm just about to try and breastfeed. Is there anyone who can help me? Because he's done it himself once, but, you know, now I need to like act to try and feed him. And she's like, don't be so ridiculous, as if someone like you is going to breastfeed. Walked away, came back and plonked a ready-made bottle on the light side, and I was like, oh, can I not? I was going to breastfeed. She don't be ridiculous. You can't breastfeed. You're a teenage mom. You're, you're oh, wow. deluded if you think you're going to keep up with breastfeeding. And then she got hold of my baby and put a bottle in his mouth. And I was like, okay. If that was now, I would just be in the place. I'm like, who are you speaking to? Who are you treating? But back then, I just allowed myself to be treated Mm. that way. And he was then bottle fed. Didn't even give breastfeeding another thought. Rang my mum. Was like, oh, my God, can you run out and get some, like, supplies there? We need bottles. We need to know, like, they've just given him, like, SMA gold. Like, go buy that then. Um, So I found it being hard. But even back then, I was in what's called, uh, it's called YAP, Young and Pregnant. So my midwife was a specialist, teenage pregnancy midwife. And she was running like antenatal groups. And she decided, I'd then joined, sorry, uh, a sexual health clinic called Brooks, was doing a course for teenage mums to give you some like life skills. Okay, that's good. So it was... um, sex education it was like it's kind of a bit like that I've got a baby but yeah I get I get where you're going with this mm-hmm. um, sex education child care like just level one level two child care counseling level one so that's when I very first got into counseling oh, uh then I forgot what the other one was like peer support or something like that so we would kind of you know some of the girls would go into schools high schools and be like look this is reality of having a baby like it's, yeah. be careful watch what you're doing and then we found out that my midwife wanted other like teenage mums to come to her mm. antenatal class for teenagers to to run the classes for her so that she'd do the medical side mm. but myself and my friend at the time who I'd met on the course would do the reality of this is teenage mum you need to learn about money you need to learn about bills like do you know you've got to pay for things like electric and free guys you've got to pay bills for that sort of stuff this is like 
all the things I'd had to learn. So were you uh, actually allowed to do that? Because it sounds like you had a partner that kind of didn't want you out. Anyway, yeah, so I could go to the course because his, um, like, not business partner, but someone who, like, developed a lot of houses, rented out a lot of houses, um, and my partner's always done alarms. So he had, like, a kind of business relationship mm. with this man, and it was his wife who run the clinic. Oh. And there was only one male in the clinic, and he was homosexual. So he was right. no... Yeah. Um, I was still smoking. I didn't smoke in my pregnancy, but strangely, as soon as I gave birth to him, I was like, right, now I need a cigarette. Wow. <laughs> it was like the mother instinct took over, like, no way am I going to put smoke into my baby. And then all of a sudden, as soon as he was born, it was like, someone wheel me down for a fact. <laughs> so um, when we went to the like the course, there was a crest underneath us. So it was safe. It's like, oh, you can still hear the baby. You're not even that far. Because it was literally like four weeks old. Um, oh no, it must have been six. It was six weeks old, and um, we could pop out and have a cigarette. Obviously, we didn't have the baby, so it was like, oh great, we can literally pop out. And I was, there was a few of us that smoked, and he would have to be on the phone to me from the minute I walked through the reception because it was a sexual health clinic. So obviously, there was like a yeah. uh, like a reception area, and I, I did eventually work in that bit briefly, but it didn't last. But he would have to be on the phone to me. And everyone had just knew, oh, yeah, Nick will be on the phone all the time to, to, to Paul. He'll be asking, he'd ask who's there, and I'd have to name names. I couldn't just be like, oh, there's just a few of us. It'd be like, well, who, who is it? And so I'd have to explain yeah. to my friends at the time, sorry, I just need to send my partner who I'm with, just worries about me, blah, blah, blah. So um, is that how your relationship ended up ending, sort of, after six years of that? Have you just been like, look, I can't cope with this sort of control? Yeah, like, he... He controlled everything. He, mm. I couldn't open the curtains and tell the postman had been. So he was worried about me speaking to the postman. I couldn't watch the TV because if there was males on, so I had to watch underneath the TV. I could only look up if I knew it would just be females on the TV. Um, he'd lay my clothes out in the morning. If he decided my hair needed cutting, he'd cut my hair. Um, just work, There's no better way of describing it, but every element of my life he controlled. Whether, when I could and couldn't speak to my mum, when I couldn't, couldn't see my mom, everything. And it was when my son, I'd had my son and then I'd had two more babies not long after. Um, there's no better way to describe it, but that I wasn't conscious when they were conceived. And when I found out with my daughter, it was like, okay, my first one after my son's my second child. But with my third, I had had a miscarriage in between and not even known that there was a chance to be pregnant. I'd gone to my appointment for my six-week checkup, and it was like, oh, you've had a miscarriage, and we need to do your checkup as well. You're late for it. So I think it was like my 12-week check now. Um, because I was a teenage mum, I did it back with that midwife so she can catch up, support you. And she was like, I'm just going to do a pregnancy test. We just do it routinely. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're pregnant? I was like, I can't be. I, I haven't li- I've literally not done anything. I, I'm telling you now, I'm Mary because I've not done anything. I must be carrying the... Jesus Christ, I've, I've not done anything to be pregnant. Something else is wrong with me. And she was like, you know, very rare. We'll send you for a scan, make sure, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, you're pregnant. And that's she was the first person who kind of made me realise that maybe the relationship I was in wasn't normal. Maybe things weren't right. Maybe they shouldn't be, should be questioning things. So how did you manage to get out of it? Because he sounds like he would not let you go without a fight. No, I, I tried a few times to leave. It just My mum had tried to help me at one point. I was in another house. Like I stayed with my mum for a couple of weeks. Uh, this is when I just had my son. I stayed with my mum for about a week. She took my phone 
So she, I still wanted him to have a relationship with his son, but mum was like, no, this is how we do it. This is what's happening now. Give me your phone, no contact. So she took over. She took over the control. Right. Okay. I was very scared to be in a house on my own, very scared. Uh, I used to always have a fear of being burgled and, and being broken into, and he did alarm. So, you know, it was like he was kind of my protector. She then had enough of me and was like, no, I want you to go in your house now. And I'm like, but it's not ready. We haven't got the locks on the door. We haven't got an alarm. I'm not ready to stay in it now. And it was like, oh, tough. If you're getting in my way and like, let's go drop you off. So then I ended up in this house and I thought somebody was trying to break in. So then I rang my ex because I now had my phone back. So I rang him. I was like, look, I've not wanted just to not see our son and I'm in danger. Someone's breaking in. I don't know how I didn't process it, bless me, but you know. Within like two minutes, he was at my door to help me and to what I thought saved me. I know I'm like, you know, all right, yeah, I think he was pretending to break in to make me scared, mm-hmm. so I drink. So it worked, you know, bless him. So I got back with him. So then my point, which I've never said publicly, is I weren't allowed to go to the shops or anything like that. Um, but I'd managed it, it took me a long time to convince him to let me learn to drive um I'd obviously actually use a female driving instructor I was rubbish <laughs> it took me eight times to pass my test oh my god loves a dryer <laughs> um I'd passed my test and I thought I'm going he used to disappear for hours hours on end he used to say he was going to roll and be back five hours later and so one day this one day I just thought I'm going for toilet roll I'm nipping to the shop so I just said look I'm gonna nip to the shop with with our son I'm like I'm nipping to the shop you you have the babies I'm nipping to the shop and um I've funny enough I read this the other day in my diary because I've always kept a diary and I read me having that strength to say I'm going and we got in the car I put Peter Andre on playing loud female that would be <laughs> and um we had a nice time we went in the shop and I, I behaved and then, uh, wow, I've just literally gone back to that phrase, and I behaved, that was weird. Um, but then we got back into the house and we walked through like the patio doors and my ex was there ready and waiting. And my son just pleaded with him and was like, mummy was a good girl, daddy. Mummy didn't look up. Mummy didn't go to a till with a boy on. Mummy didn't have the music too loud, but we had the music on a little bit loud, but people weren't looking, daddy. I promise, daddy, weren't you a good girl, mummy? Mummy tell daddy that you're a good girl. And it was just that was it it was no way am I letting him think that this is okay it was just it was just like a a switch me that was like this is over this is over I can't let this happen so um it obviously it didn't go as easy as that they had to be police involved um Mm. it did assault me um it was very hard he wasn't going to move out of the house which you know you could say would be the right thing to do from a moral point of view legally I could have had a right to it because I had ended mm. up on the mortgage but I ended up you know moving out I'd found somewhere to rent um and it was it was tough it was more mm. so just like I remember my mum saying like the kids were all in the car and she was like just you just run in and get the chips like it was getting chippy tea I'm not Friday's chippy <laughs> and um, she was like going and get the chips. I was like, I can't go in. She's like, just go in and get the chips, Nicola. I'll stay with the kid. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how, how do you want me to do that? How do I feel? How do I do that? I don't know how to do it. I was like, just go in and just ask for what we want. I'm like, then what do I do? Yeah. But by this part, I was coming up to being 21, but I had no idea how to be an adult. I had three kids and I had no idea how to be an adult. How do you go in a shop and speak to people? How do you 
stand in front of everyone and not be on the phone. And it was very, it was very strange to try and be a person and be a mum and deal with my ex who was very, you know, doing everything he could in whatever ways to scare me, to get me back, to just, yeah, control everything. But you managed to stay away from him and you had to relearn everything pretty much to be independent but it sounds like you managed that and I guess you've sort of talked about having various mental health conditions and I wonder one of them you mentioned was CPTSD was that stemming from a partnership with him as well as the sort of childhood abuse like when did you start to recognize that you had conditions that needed sort of support? I think for a few years I did um there's no better way of saying but go off the rails. I did discover drink. I weren't allowed to drink when I was with my ex. I did discover going out. Like I put myself on a college course to do like the access to nursing, to like make something of myself, to prove a point that like, I'm a mum. And yes, I haven't got a job, but I will get one. I will go to college. I will study. I will get a job. Uh, found some friends. Like I'd not been allowed friends. This was the first time I'd had female like friends that were like you know similar ages who was like going on nights out and things. So my ex had the children every so often he'd kind of never be consistent and I think that was so he couldn't I remember in one case court case him saying he couldn't have the kids every Saturday night because there's no way he would allow me to be going out every Saturday night and he literally said that but um yeah he would have the kids and so I'd just go out just go drinking being out and about with friends my mum uh remember part I was struggling for money and I was like mum I need money to feed the kids it was like no but I'll pay for this one and night out um and then I was at university at this point. I'd gone on to do the law degree, which was just, yeah, strange, but bypassed that point. Um, I'd met somebody. I'd briefly been with somebody in between it, but then I'd met somebody online. Um, we'd been talking for a while. Uh, was really enjoying getting to know him. We'd started seeing each other in person only when I didn't have the kids. I didn't want to mix them two worlds, so I did feel like I've got, like, one life and another. But I guess through drinking, every time I had a drink after a certain point, I was just back at my dad's. I was just back there constantly. I was starting to really struggle and self-harm and a lot. I'd self-harmed when I was with my ex still and when I you know, was with him um, and just not understood it. I just understood that it was like I just wanted to take my skin off. I just didn't want to be in this skin because to me this was the skin that's kind of been tainted like I need to I never felt clean is a better way of saying it I always wanted it to be off so that was getting more intense and I remember just drinking more for the fact that I was trying to block out these noises I remember even when I was with my ex um I wouldn't bath my kids I it was very hands-on which again it's hard to see like the control element when you mix it up with all the being very helpful uh, my son was very ill a lot to do with our physical health as well um, and he was always great with being up in the night with him because sometimes I physically couldn't things like that um, so he was always had a very hands-on role but I then realized there was a lot of it that was kind of in my favor it was like well he did the majority of the nappies I wouldn't do nappies but I'd have a very it's hard to explain to people about how do you actually do that? But I try and do a nappy and look as little as possible and touch as little as possible. Didn't do baths. Didn't didn't bath my... I didn't bath my son until I would have left my ex. So he would have been about five or six and I didn't get involved in the bath time because he was so much older. 
I'd then either ask my ex to bath the kids when he had them and be like, here's the kids, oh, you need to give them a bath. And he kind of just took that on. He never really questioned any of that. It was just like, oh, yeah, you don't bath. It wouldn't even be in the conversation. It was just kind of a given thing. So all these things were happening, but without any sort of conscious look on them, you know, without even kind of realising all these things that were happening. And I remember... um, my ex had the kids, he had them for like a few nights at a time, which was unusual. So it was like, right, drink away, drink away. I was getting on great with, you know, this new relationship. There was a lot, you know, in a way there was a lot going on. I was at uni, I was doing very well, even though I didn't believe it at the time. I was doing really well at university. Um, and I remember I've, I've read it actually the day because I'd, I'd read one of my old diaries and I just went to end my life and was just like, I just, can't be here can't do this and that's when the fear just overtook in being at uni doing things to do with the law you know studying at this point I'd done level one and level two counseling so doing mm. a lot about like tasks of right on the front of the mask draw what you let people see on the inside of the mask what's really going on yeah doing all that sort of stuff, things bubbling at the surface, hearing the statistics that a lot of people who are abused go on to be abusers and thinking, well, what the F have I done then because I've had three kids? How dare I have children if that has happened to me and I could be one of them statistics? What on earth have I done? How could I have done this? This is why I don't bath them. This is why I can't go near them. And I remember... um, I didn't think it was because I thought it was quite okay. But um, I remember the day that my kids were getting packed up to go and be with the dad for a couple of days. And my little girls were walking out the door with the brother. And my youngest, who's called Angel, um, she had like some little pants. And I remember seeing a bum and just thinking, oh, look at her cute little bum. And then I remember thinking, you monster, how could you have just done that? How could you have just looked at her bum? and called it and thought it was cute thought it was nice and it just petrified me and I just thought well I'm gonna I, this must be how it starts this must be how people become monsters like I've just looked at my daughter's bum and thought it was cute how could I have done something as disgusting as that and then I'd, I had a lot to drink and uh, my friend had fell out with me because she felt like I was seeing my partner at the time more than her. So it was like I lost my support, couldn't really talk to, you know, my new mm. boyfriend. He was a new boyfriend. I'm not going to, you know, pour everything out to him. Um, my mum didn't want to know. She wasn't really interested. She didn't like the fact I'd met somebody. And I remember I just tried to end it all and thinking I can't, I cannot be a monster to my kids. And that's kind of when it was like, whoa, what's going on? Like, I'd not actually gone to take anything at that time because my mum had, I think I'd started texting everyone to say goodbye and she did realise what was going on, came round with my brother, who I very rarely saw, and it was like, well, what's happening? What is up with you? Like, what is even going on? Brought up, well, it's, you know, everything that happened, used my mum's language, calling him, you know, DH instead of dad and things, being like, because of what's gone on. And I remember just saying to her, how can I have had kids? And how selfish of me to have had kids rather than to go and find the boy and the girl that he went on to have. Why am I not trying to save them? Why am I not, why have I not gone and, you know, basically kidnapped them and brought them to safety with me? Um, Because, and then at that point, actually, I think not long after that, I did the stepmom, whatever you would call the woman who was with my dad. 
my brother found out that she'd left my dad. She'd had an affair with one of his colleagues at the business he had, which was a kids' Thai boxing club. Um, and he'd moved to Thailand again. That's when he'd gone, and she wanted to get to know me. So I did then have a relationship with my brother and sister for a while, which I think at that point kind of saved me, kind of gave me that, oh, my gosh, I'm protecting them. Oh, my gosh, I know that they're safe. Oh, my gosh, I know that I can be with them now. They're part of my family now. We was together pretty much all day, every day. We was together a lot, except for on weekends. I would then be like, she would babysit, and I would go out with my friends. Um, Maybe like, not every weekend, but a couple of weekends at a time. Most weekends, I'd then be with her. We'd have sleepovers at her house, my house, whatever. The kids were similar ages. And then history likes to repeat itself. I remember being in hers one day, people barging through. It was social services. Her partner at the time had just been arrested. He'd gone out shopping. He'd been arrested. And I'm like, what is going on? I didn't really have much dealings with him. And there'd been an allegation that he'd raped an ex-partner's daughter five years ago and she was 10 now so it would have been when she was five so it was very quickly realizing that the the mum there was the girl who was with my dad this woman I'd been with maybe is aware these things happen don't know so I was immediately very oh my god you need to speak to my kids you need to speak to my kids they've been here without me you need to speak to my brother and sister we need to find out what's going on Whereas the other lady was going to visit the guy when he was on bail, taking my brother and sister with her. So then it was a case with social. It was like, right, uh, why is she not acting the way I am? What can we do here? So then it was a case of I had to step back. I had to put my kids first and remove myself from that situation. But say to the social services, if they do get removed from her, please bring them to me. I will bring them up. But social made it very clear that I couldn't keep contact with her because then I would kind of be agreeing to her mentality and her clearly not putting safety measures in place. Yeah, no, that sounds absolutely... Already we've only done sort of part of your life. I know, it's a long life. It's a long, it's going to be a long... I think this is going to be just episode one. I think we're going to have to do a part two um, (laughs) and sort of be like, yeah because I think that's a great place to end this particular episode um, but then I definitely think yeah. the next one should then be about what happens next and yeah how you come then it starts to get good <laughs> yes well it's already been quite interesting <laughs> but thank you for um this part of it and um guys come back for part two if you've liked this episode please help us out by liking subscribing or leaving us a review as this helps us to reach more people If you've got any ideas about topics to cover on future episodes or questions about the pod, or you even want to be interviewed for it, please get in touch on our socials using at mindvoxpod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, or email us on mindvoxpod at gmail.com.